This morning with our study through Psalm 119. Today we're looking at the seventh stanza, which is verses 49 to 56. It's based on the Hebrew letter Zion. Who the psalmist is, is unknown. Uh, we naturally assume David because he wrote so many of the psalms, and that's a very real possibility. There's a number of things that can easily apply to David. There's also a possibility it could have been Daniel that I've mentioned to you before. Um, I mean, because the psalmist is writing as one who is a stranger, one who is like an exile within his own culture. And that's exactly what Daniel's situation was, because he was forced to live as a Jewish exile in the idolatrous nation of Babylon. So whether he wrote it or not, there's all kinds of application there for him. Well, as the psalmist deals with pressures and challenges of living in a culture that's hostile to his faith, a couple things he does. He's regularly going to the Lord in prayer. He's praying about these things. He's bringing these issues to, to the Lord. And we also see that almost all of his prayers, maybe they all do. I'm just kind of giving a, a maybe that maybe something might not. But it seems like most everything he prays is connected with the scriptures. It's connected with asking God to make them more real to him, to grant him understanding of what they say, to incline his heart toward the testimonies of God. He, we even saw that he said, Lord, make me walk in them, recognizing that he sometimes didn't walk in them, and he needed help. He needed God's help to do that. So the psalmist is constantly renewing his commitment to the Lord through, being, through his commitment to his statutes, to his word. Last week, we looked at verses 41 to 48, and in those verses, the psalmist deals with the challenge of being a faithful witness for the Lord when it's most definitely not the most popular way to go. There were people who were persisting and mocking him for his faith. And to begin with, as in that section we looked at last week, the psalmist recognized that to be a faithful witness, he had to know God's grace, God's mercy to him. And he expresses that that is, is the case, and he speaks of God's mercy. And the very fact that he speaks of God's mercy tells us that he understood that he was weak, he was unworthy, he was sinful, he needed mercy. He needed God's grace. And so if you're going to be a faithful witness, you have, to have, a, you have to have a testimony first that God has been gracious to you and actually forgiven you and changed your heart. Well, he had that. He then talked about his need to be consistent in his Christian life. If he was going to be a faithful witness, he needed to live consistently with what the Word of God says. And then he closes by speaking of the love that God had given him for the commandments of God. And it's they're connected. He says, because he had such a great love for the Lord, he had love for his word. And having people who mocked his faith was not going to change that. Well, the verses that we're looking at this morning continue by giving us helpful insight into what the psalmist did to keep pressing forward in his faith when there were so many who opposed him. So let me read for you verses 49 to 56. Remember the word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your word has revived me. The arrogant utterly deride me, yet I do not turn aside from your law. I have remembered your ordinances from of old, O Lord, and comfort myself. Burning indignation has seized me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes are my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. 
O Lord, I remember your name in the night and keep your law. This has become mine that I observe your precepts. The word remember shows up three times in these verses. The word comfort shows up twice. And the remembering and the comfort are connected with each other. There are ways of remembering that believers can do that result in real comfort when times are hard. We're going to look at these verses in three sections. First, verses 49 and 50, we see that believers are to call on the Lord for him to remember his word. Second, in verses 51 to 53, we see our need to remember the judgments of God as a means of comfort. And then in verses 54 to 56, we are exhorted to remember the name of the Lord as we, pursued, as we pursue what I'm calling solid joys. So our first main point is this. In faith, believers call on the Lord to remember his word so they can have comfort in times of affliction. This stanza uh, begins with verse 49, which in this, 40, this verse is the only prayer request that the psalmist makes in this particular stanza. And it's a prayer request that might make us feel a little uncomfortable at first. Here's her, again what it says. Remember the, remember the word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is really a bold request calling on the Lord to remember something. This is not done because he's concerned that maybe the Lord has forgotten. It's not done um, because he thinks maybe he's not living up to what he's promised. God doesn't forget. I mean, we forget all the time. I mean, the older you get, the more common it is to walk into a room and have no idea why you're there. I mean, there's all kinds of things that we forget. You put your whole life together, you have forgotten a whole lot more than you remember. There's all kinds of things that we forget. But that's not true of God. God is perfectly wise. There's no way you can be perfectly wise if you, if you have a bad memory. So verse 49 is not a reminder to God about things he's forgotten. It's not an accusation that God has somehow changed so that we can no longer depend on him. Instead, this is an act of faith on the part of the psalmist, and it's something that we can emulate, that we can learn from. Here's how I would summarize that what this prayer request is all about. God is gracious to his people to bring specific to bring specific applications of his word to their lives. In faith, they should call on him to remember those words and act on them. So the psalmist says, remember the word to your servant. He's not asking for a new or updated promise. Uh, he's approaching the Lord as one of his servants. That's his identity. He's mentioned that several times. He's a servant of the Lord. His whole purpose in life is to love and serve his God. That's who he is. But he's not asking God to answer his prayer based on how good a servant he has been. He's not saying, Lord, I've served you in so many ways, and now you owe me. So he's not asking God to answer his prayer based on his good works. He's asking from the perspective of one who has received mercy on top of mercy on top of mercy, 
and he's asking for more. Well, as part of God's mercy to him, the Lord has made certain promises very personal to this servant of God. There were scriptures in his life that stood out to him. There were promises that he needed to hear at a very particular time in his life. We don't know what that was. But there were scriptures that gave him wisdom, scriptures that gave him strength, scriptures that gave him confidence, hope to press on in the midst of whatever he was dealing with. So now he's asking the Lord to remember those words from that time. This is a prayer of faith. He knows the Lord to be true. He knows him to be faithful. He knows him to be strong. He knows him to be mighty. So because that's who God is, the psalmist is trusting God. He's calling God to keep his word. So it's a prayer of faith. It's also a prayer of hope. He says, remember your word in which you have made me hope. It's a confident hope because God has revealed his word. God has given him grace to hope. And the psalmist is confident the Lord's not going to disappoint him. Augustine talked about how his mother would pray like this. He said she would say, she, uh, this is the, what, he, what he said was this, is that she would bring before God his own handwriting. This is what you wrote down. This is what you said. Right? Augustine said, said that's how his mother would pray. That's a prayer of faith. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you likely have scriptures that the Lord has made very personal to you. They were scriptures that you were encouraged to believe in light of whatever your circumstances were at the time. They were scriptures that gave you a confident hope. A lot of us could probably list a number of those that have been very special to us over our lifetime. One of the passages of scripture that gave me a lot of hope as a Christian and as a minister is Psalm 110, which I, you probably know this because I refer to this psalm often, and it's because God has used it to give me so much hope. I'm just going to read the first few verses. I'm going to comment on them, but I just want to read these verses. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. In holy array from the womb of the dawn, your youth are to you as the dew. I'm not going to go through, like I said, about what that scripture talks about, but there's lots of just amazing, just life changing, world-changing promises that are in those verses that the Lord just grabbed me with. And I am so grateful that he did because they've been so encouraging to me over the years, going back to them and back to them and back to them. And so I'm being reminded by this verse, I need to hold them up and say, God, that's what you said, right? That's what you said, right? Do that. Keep doing it. You need to do the same thing. What are some of those verses that have been specially meaningful to you? The psalmist has in mind words that the Lord had made very personal to him. These were personal things. This was not he was in a group of 500 people and they all quoted the same verse together. 
These were things that the Lord worked very personally in his life as a servant of the Lord. And he's bringing those scriptures back to God's mind, saying, remember those things. I'm trusting you to do what you promised. So it's this psalmist's prayer in verse 49 that enables him to say then what he says in verse 50. He says, this is my comfort and my affliction that your word has revived me. So we see from this verse, our next point, God uses his word to bring real comfort to his people in their times of trouble. Verse 50 is a sure indication of the strong faith that the psalmist has. He knew that the word that he was calling the Lord to remember was God's sure word. He knew that the Lord was faithful to keep his word. So even though he was in the midst of affliction, he was comforted in the middle of it. It was affliction, pain, disappointment, suffering that led him to pray, and it was in the midst of all that that he says, God comforted me. I'm sure there are certain people who are able to comfort you, maybe better than others. There are people who know you well. There are people that you know well. And that's a great gift from God to have that. But there's something unique about God's comfort. He knows your situation better than anyone. He knows you better than you know yourself. And so because he is perfectly wise, strong, good, sovereign, because those things are true, his comfort is going to be especially suited to your need. What a blessing it is to have our sovereign Lord as our God and the privilege of being his servant as he watches over us and helps us. Well, in conjunction with the comfort, we also see in verse 50 that the psalmist was revived by the word of God. In fact, it was the, it was the reviving of the word that produced the comfort. That's what he says. He said, this is my comfort and my, afflict, comfort and my affliction, that your word has revived me. The reviving of the word is what brought comfort. This is talking about really a, a, a reviving or a quickening. Some of your versions may even use that term, a quickening of heart. It's like a renewal, ongoing difficulties, hardships. Same, those kind of things can drain us, especially when they go on for a while. But as Christians, by God's grace, we keep moving forward. By his grace, we keep reading the scriptures. We keep praying. We keep meeting with our church, worshiping, fellowshiping with the fellow Christians. By his grace, if you fall off of those things, you're really going to be in a bad way. But by his grace, we keep moving. But sometimes you just feel tired. Sometimes you just feel like the affliction, whatever it might be, is going to overwhelm you. When in those times, God often uses his word to quicken us. He renews that faith. He renews that hope. He renews that desire to want to keep going and please him with our life. He gives us very personal assurances of his presence. And he deals with us with a deep understanding about what's happening to us. And he assures us that no matter how unbelievable it may seem, he is actively working every single aspect of that affliction to our good. He's doing that. That might be one of the, one of the verses that you show him. Say, Lord, you said this. 
trust you to work this to good. That's what you said, right? So as his word revives us, we're given comfort, and all calls, all starts with calling on the Lord to remember his word to his servant. So the emphasis on the remembering continues in the next three verses, verses 51 to 53. The arrogant utterly deride me, yet I do not turn aside from your law. I have remembered your ordinances from of old, O Lord, and comfort myself. Burning indignation has seized me because of the wicked who forsake your law. So our second main point is this. In obedience, in obedience, believers stand firm in their remembrance of and adherence to God's law, even when others do not. So the preceding verses focus on calling on God to remember his word to us. Well, there's a parallel to that. These verses are calling on us to remember his word and apply it. Both things need to happen. But before the psalmist gets to his, need, his own need of remembering, he lets us know what was a big part of the affliction was that he was dealing with. So he shows us in this next point that the scorn of unbelievers, the scorn of unbelievers is a hurtful affliction that Christians have to endure, but God will grant them the grace to press on in their faith. In verse 51, the psalmist says, The arrogant utterly deride me. To deride is to express contempt for someone. It's to ridicule them. And then when he says, they utterly deride me, there's an intensity to it. There's an ongoing aspect of this being held up as, to, to scorn. When we think of Daniel's situation, there's applications there. The only ones there, as best we know, um, from the book of Daniel that agreed with him were his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Everyone else apparently was fully committed to the idolatrous worship going on around them in Babylon. In fact, it's interesting that in ancient times, whenever one nation defeated another nation in battle, in war, it was understood that the God of the winning nation was superior to the God of the losing nation. Daniel was part of the nation that lost, that was defeated. So it seems likely that arrogant Babylonians truly did utterly deride Daniel and his friends. We also need to remember that this is something that's to be expected by Christians. The Apostle Paul told us as, uh, in 2 Corinthians 3.12, he says, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So the taunts of the world are to be expected, at least to some degree, but it's still a hurtful thing to endure, and it becomes a temptation to compromise the things of the Scripture in order to avoid some of the harshness and to maybe be more accepted. But the Lord has given promises to his people that they can remind him of, remind him of these promises, and know that he will keep these promises. So the Lord revives his people in the middle of the ridicule and gives them comfort. And because of his faithfulness, we can say, along with the psalmist, yet I do not turn aside from your law. Even though this is going on, I do not turn aside from your law. And that's what the psalmist is saying too. The Lord was given, had given him strength to do this and to not compromise his faith. 
There's a number of places where we can find this in other parts of the scripture where the same kind of thing is spoken of. Jesus said this, part of the Beatitudes. This is Luke 6, 22 and 23 I'm going to read. He said, blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. So encouraging words in the midst of this is going to happen and it's going to be hard. Acts chapter 5 tells us that when the Sanhedrin had arrested the apostles for preaching and then warned them to stop speaking of, of Jesus Christ, in verse 41, we see the Lord enable them to do this, to rejoice that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. God grant them that ability to rejoice in the midst of being ridiculed and scorned. Probably the most encouraging promise to me in this regard is from 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and 10, where Paul says, uh, because God spoke this to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. So Paul says, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Every believer, just even the example here of the psalmist in Psalm 119, he's reminding us we need to be well armed with the word of God. We need to know what the scriptures say. He has promised he will be strong in our weakness. He has promised us that by his grace, the various insults and hardships that we endure for the sake of Christ, we can endure. So even though the arrogant utterly deride us, we will not turn aside from his law. We will continue to believe and obey. Now to build on that, we read this in verse 52. He says, I have remembered your ordinances from of old, O Lord, and comfort myself. So once again, we see here how comfort and remembering go together. This verse makes it clear, this next point, that God gives comfort as believers actively remember God's works of judgment and deliverance in history. In this verse, it's the psalmist's turn to remember. Once again, he turns to the scriptures. The American Standard translates this, the word here, as ordinances. Others use the word judgments uh, in, in this verse, and I think that might be a little more clear for us. The psalmist is telling us, that something that really helped him was to remember God's works of judgment in history. We have a tendency sometimes to think our situation is unique. That others, others have just not had to deal with the same things that we have to deal with. And yes, there's always going to be some uniqueness, but there's a lot that's the same. And remembering God's judgments of old helps us to see these fiery trials are not unusual. They're not like a strange thing that can only happen to us. There have been other believers who have encountered scorn and ridicule for their faith. Some of the ones that he might have remembered when he was saying, remember these judgments of old, might be Noah and his family. Of course, they lived in a godless age. The Lord announced his intention to judge the world for its wickedness and told Noah to build an ark 
Noah was a preacher, a preacher of righteousness, and so he continued to stand for the truth. But he and his family were constantly mocked as they built the ark in anticipation of the great flood that God had said was coming. One of the things that's important to remember when we think about God's remembering God's judgments, God's judgment is all it's connected with his deliverance. So yes, the world was judged in the time of Noah, but Noah and his family were graciously delivered in the midst of judgment. Another judgment the psalmist may have remembered could be God's judgment on Pharaoh and the Egyptians. God raised up Moses and Aaron to confront Pharaoh, to demand that he set the children of Israel free from their slavery. Pharaoh refused, of course, and the Lord judged him and the nation with a series of just devastating plagues culminating with the, first, the death of the firstborn sons. And the result of this judgment was that Israel was delivered from its bondage. And even when Pharaoh changed his mind and came after them again at the Red Sea, God delivered them at the Red Sea and destroyed the Pharaoh, the Pharaoh and his army at the same time. Judgment and deliverance go together. And that's probably part of what he was remembering when he says he was remembering God's judgments. Remembering God's works of judgments and deliverances is one of the ways that God has ordained to help us deal with our own conflicts, our own issues. You've got testimonies, again, in your own life of God's deliverance, especially. There are times that the Lord has come to your aid that were very memorable to you. Don't forget those. Remember them. And this is part of actually dealing with ongoing challenges is remembering what he's done in the past for you. How has he intervened in your life? Don't forget those things. They're important. The Lord will use those to bring us comfort in the present. Well, when the psalmist remembered God's judgments of old, it had an additional effect on him besides comfort. Verse 53 says, Burning indignation has seized me because of the wicked who forsake your law. So from this verse, we can see next that remembrance of God's past judgments stirs up righteous indignation regarding professed believers being unfaithful to the Lord. There's two possible interpretations, as best I can tell, from this verse. First is this. As he remembered God's past judgments, it may be that God stirred up in him a burning horror at the fate of the wicked. As he remembered their pride, as he remembered their unbelief, their sinful actions, he was horrified at the things he knew they were going to endure or did endure and were eternally going to endure because of their sin. So he's reminded of all the people that are just going headlong down this road to destruction. And God gives him a greater burden for their souls. He wanted to do what he could to see them repent and believe in the Lord. That could be what's going on here. And, and maybe there's a couple things going on here. But there's a second possible way to look at this. And that is that as he remembered God's past judgments, he felt a burning indignation toward those who profess to follow the Lord, but have in fact turned away from him and compromised their faith. 
He's angered at those who deceive others by giving the impression of being religious, while in reality, they have turned away from the Lord and turned away from holding his, his statutes, his commandments, his words, word the scriptures like he should. This is something we know that Daniel and his friends experienced. You remember, I'm sure, that when King Nebuchadnezzar built a large golden idol and required everyone to bow down to it, Daniel was apparently another part of Babylon at this time because he doesn't show up in this story. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are the ones who are highlighted those as the ones, the only ones who would stand and not bow. Now think about this. There were multiplied thousands of Jews in Babylon. Three guys don't bow. There were only three, apparently, who were standing against the idolatry of the culture. That, wouldn't that frustrate you for, to a point? <laughs> I know later in Daniel chapter 9, as Daniel, this is a prayer of Daniel's, he talks about and really kind of laments and complains to the Lord so, to some degree of the unfaithful deeds of his fellow Jews while they were in Babylon. It bothered him that so many of them were just going right in line with whatever the Babylonians were, were pushing and leaving off their faith. So because of these things, I could see him expressing this burning indignation, a righteous anger against those who professed to be believers, but who were instead going right along in line with the unbelieving culture. In verse 43, or verse, I'm sorry, verse 53, he has righteous anger because they have forsaken God's law. So, I mean, and you remember in the previous stanza, he had expressed twice there at the end his love for the, for the Lord, well, specifically his love for the law of God because of his love for the Lord. So he had a jealous love for the Lord and for his ways. And seeing people who professed to believe purposely not believing, bothered him significantly for the Lord's sake. There's a place for expressing this kind of righteous anger as we remember his judgments from of old. That brings us to the third thing the psalmist says about the importance of remembering. Look at verse 54 to 56. Your statutes are my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. O Lord, I remember your name in the night and keep your law. This has become mine, that I observe your precepts. So here we see that remembrance of the Lord and of his statutes can give solid joys, even in life's challenges, can give solid joys. The psalmist doesn't use the word comfort in speaking these verses, but he is definitely speaking of things that give him comfort and enjoyment, even joy, encouragement. And I use the term solid joys because he's not talking about just kind of giddiness or just being in a good mood. I mean, he's talking about ways that the statutes, the laws, the precepts of God have strengthened his faith and enabled him to persevere with gladness. Now, it's important to note also here that he speaks of this just after speaking of his righteous indignation that he was feeling because of those who were not being faithful to the Lord. It would be easy to stew on that. 
and to let that anger kind of fester where it's not a righteous anger anymore. It's just kind of anger, you know, bad anger. But the psalmist takes it all to the Lord in prayer, and he uses this as a prod to keep himself faithful. So the first thing that gives him solid joy is this. The good statutes of God furnish songs for every step of life's journey. Verse 54, he says, Your statutes are my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. All the way through Psalm 119, the psalmist has been praying about and speaking of his love for the, and his commitment to the statutes of the Lord. Now he adds that God's statutes are his songs. That makes perfect sense. I mean, the book of Psalms was and really is in a large degree still is the hymn book of the people of God. When we sing of God's ways, it really kind of shows that our heart is in them. Singing the statutes of God kind of reminds us in song of so many important things as we go through life. They remind us of, of him as our shepherd, remind us of how he guides, remind us of his goodness, reminds us of how he keeps us, how he provides for us, reminds us of his salvation for us, that he's our friend, he's our God. I mean, there's all kinds of things that songs based on psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs remind us of as we're going through life. And that's good. Hopefully, some of the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs that we sing here are come to your mind occasionally that you might be able to use them yourself personally. The psalmist says he sings these songs in the house of his pilgrimage. Um, I think the house of his pilgrimage is really just wherever he was living. I think it's place of residence, I think is probably what he's talking about there. But he calls it the house of pilgrimage because he was living as an alien in a pagan land. But it's a reminder to us that no matter where we live, every Christian is a pilgrim in this world. It's a reminder that our permanent home is in the new heavens, the new earth. Our Savior has prepared a place for us in his Father's house. So it's a good reminder that we live our life here as a pilgrim. And that's a good thing. Charles Bridges said that we're to be happy strangers on this path to home. He also said it'd be wearisome to be a pilgrim without a song. So the songs are important. That will give us some of those solid joys in the midst of challenge and disappointment. The next thing to note about solid joys is this. Regularly calling to mind the character of the Lord gives encouragement day and night. Call to mind the character of the Lord. To remember the name of the Lord is to remember who he is. It's to remember his character. It's to remember his attributes. So he sings his pilgrim songs in the day and has these happy remembrances of the Lord in the night. Sometimes the night can be a challenge. There are so many things that can begin to go through our mind. Some of you probably sleep all through the night. I don't know if I've ever slept all through the night my whole life. I'm always awake and asleep, awake and asleep, awake and asleep. That happens to me all through the night. That's just normal. That's just the way I sleep. So there's always times, multiple times during the night, where I'm thinking of something besides sleeping. Well, you might have that same thing. And it's amazing how often things can get stuck in your head at night. I don't know if that happens to you, but it happens to me. Things can get stuck in your head, and it's almost like you can't kick them out. 
It's almost like that hamster just keeps going on and on and on, and you can't get it to stop. Sometimes the nights can be a challenge that way. Well, psalmist says, here's what I do. In the night, I remember the name of my God. In other words, I think about his character. Let me give you some examples how that might work. It might be good to think on the fact that your God is perfectly wise. Remind yourself of that. And think about how that relates to whatever is bothering you. It might be helpful to remember that your God is good. Apply that directly to whatever is in your mind. Because that includes the things that are bothering you when you say God is good. As we sing in one of the other songs, behind his frowning providence is a smiling face. Because he's a good God. It can be helpful to remember that he's sovereign over all things. So therefore, no matter how you're feeling, things are not spiraling out of control. They're not. It feels that way, but that's not the reality. It's helpful to remember that mountain of loving kindnesses that he directs toward every one of his servants. Mercies on top of mercy on top of mercy. So even when we sin, he remains committed to continuing to be merciful and gracious to us. It's helpful to remember the salvation that he's provided for you in Jesus Christ. And because you are in Christ, you are eternally loved and cared for. And finally, it's important to remember he's the God of all truth. And that brings us back to his word. And after saying then, here, here back in the scriptures, after saying he remembered the name of the Lord at night, the psalmist adds once again, and I keep your law. Reminding himself, God is the God of truth. I can trust him. It's almost like he's saying, where else am I going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Where else am I going to go? So remembering God's name in the night gives us solid joys for our pilgrimage. Then the psalmist sums up, what he said in the stanza with verse 56. This has become mine, that I observe your precepts. So what is it that has become his? Really everything he's been saying in this stanza. So he can sum it up with his last point. God gives confidence in his promises, comfort in affliction, the courage to persevere, and sustaining songs as believers observe his precepts. So God has enabled him to be faithful to the Lord through the difficult and painful afflictions he was enduring, whatever they might have been. And all that he has done has been done in the context of observing, honoring, keeping the precepts of God, and there's reward connected with that. Going back to Psalm 19, David talked about the perfection of the law of God. He talked about how the law of God restores the soul, how it makes the why, how it makes the simple wise, how, he, how his word rejoices the heart, enlightens the eyes, how his word endures forever, that his word is more desirable than gold and sweeter than honey. And he's talking about the scriptures, the laws, the precepts of God. And then in Psalm 1911, David says this. He says, in keeping them, there is great reward. 
I think that's the same thing the psalmist is saying here in Psalm 119 in this verse. In faith, he has called on the Lord to remember the very word that he has spoken to his servant in the past. He has seen the word of God revive him and give him comfort in his affliction. He has had the courage to stand firm in the faith when others were going the opposite direction. He has been faithful to sing songs of his faith based on the word of God. He has remembered and trusted in the name of the Lord at all times, including the night. That's why he can end by saying, this has become mine. This has all become mine because I observe your precepts, that I observe your precepts. So as he remembered the Lord, the Lord is faithful to give him comfort, solid joys to see him through his pilgrimage. He can do the same for us. Lord, I want to thank you again for your word. I thank you for the testimony of the psalmist, um, remembering things that you had done in his life in the past, scriptures that had been very personal, had had an important application to his life at very important times, and remembering those and calling on you to remember them as well. Lord, I ask that you would help us do the same thing. Help us not forget the things that you have done in our lives in the past. Again, any of us who have been Christians for any length of time, we have testimonies of things you have done in our lives to help us, to encourage us, to give us hope in what seemed to be a hopeless time, to give us answers when we weren't sure what the answers were, just to get us through things. You've provided for us in miraculous ways. Help us not to forget. And especially when there's scripture involved, help us to to hold those scriptures back to you and trust you to continue to be faithful in those words. Lord, help us as we work through whatever the afflictions, whatever the difficulties are in our life. Help us to remember. And as we remember, Lord, I ask that you would give us your comfort. If you're one who doesn't have a relationship with God, if you're one who has never put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, a prayer like this would be a way to start. Lord, I realize that I am sinful in so many ways, that I have made so many mistakes. But I thank you that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, and I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I want him to be the Lord of my life. If you want to talk about that, in more detail, you can make a note on your tear-off. For those who are watching online, you can reach out to us through the website. It is in the name of Christ that we pray.